You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Well, today I found myself as I was looking at my to-do list today and seeing that I was scheduled to record today. And perhaps you've heard me say this before, or if you're new to the podcast, maybe this is new to you, but I've always been of the conviction that, boy, if I don't feel that the Lord is really leading me towards something that regardless of if it's on my to-do list or not, you know, I need to ditch it. I never want to give you guys a podcast that is checking a a to-do box because it was next on the schedule and not something that I really feel is something that will point us to the word and, and just be really valuable for us. You guys have lots of stuff to listen to. We talk a lot about how we want to be careful of the things that we listen to and making sure that that is constantly pointing us back to the word. And so today is no different. But as I approached the podcast today, I was like, oh, Lord, what do you have today? And I'll just be real. This morning when I woke up, I just wasn't sure. And I had a list of all these different things that have, you know, I and I scribble down topics and things like that that might come up when I'm sitting in a Bible study or, you know, at church on Wednesday night or or uh, something that, you know, kind of hits me in my quiet time. But I just wasn't sure where I was supposed to go. And as the Lord often does with me, he likes to use things, I think, that are just fresh out of my own study, you know, my my own quiet time, not something that I'm teaching a Bible study on. I mean, sometimes that's the case, but a lot of times it's just stuff that's just right out of where I happen to be in the word. And so that's kind of where we're going to go today with the podcast. It wasn't really what I thought. So these ones are always kind of fun. So I have a, a smattering of notes and scriptures here, and we'll just see what, what the Lord does with this. But where I, I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about Romans 7 a little bit, but I've got a ton of scripture I want to cover. But as I was thinking about some of the idea of knowing right and wrong, Romans 7 is where this kind of comes in, because Romans 7 talks about knowing the law, and that if we didn't know the law, well, then we wouldn't know what sin is, you know, we wouldn't know what coveting is if we didn't have the law to say, oh, that's coveting, you know, it seems like such a basic thing to go, well, of course, you know what right is, you know what wrong is. And I realized that that even that statement kind of feels a little nostalgic to me. Now, when I think of nostalgia, for whatever reason, the very first image that comes to my mind is my strawberry shortcake lunchbox. Okay, it was metal, you know, the really old ones. And if you you guys are Gen Zers listening to me, you're going, you took a metal lunchbox? Yeah, I did. But I was four when I started kindergarten. Now, keep in mind, there wasn't really I, I grew up in Gillette, Wyoming, and there was not a bunch of rules at the time about the age in which you could even go to kindergarten. I really wanted to start school. So my mom, you know, she kind of gave in and let me go to kindergarten. And the picture is like frozen in my brain, you know, of me standing on our gravel dirt road next to my sister who was not old enough to go to school. So of course, I felt like really big stuff because I got to go to school. I'm wearing this really to die for blue cardigan with a belt. Yeah. It was cool, guys. And standing there, you know, with my strawberry shortcake lunchbox. So when I, for some reason, nostalgia always takes me back to that picture. But I was thinking of going to school back then. What was it like for 
me to go to school? What is it like for you to go to school back in the day? Now, again, if you're some of our younger audience, you know, welcome. This is going to be a, a slightly a stroll down memory lane for this first little bit on, you know, the good old days. And I'm always, you know, the good old days aren't necessarily always good. And, you know, there's just as much sin and all kinds of stuff back then too. But particularly when it comes to this phrase, right and wrong, knowing what what is right and wrong. Growing up for me, and maybe small town Gillette, Wyoming, but I bet it's not so different for many of you. That really wasn't something that you had to guess about. And even if you were in a public school, everyone just kind of had a general idea of this is right, this is wrong. And I know we've lost some of that, perhaps, you know, I even think back to high school and, you know, sometimes things got a little bit fuzzier with that, but it certainly wasn't like today. It was not, not like today, you know, not too long ago here in Oregon, there was this uh, viral video that went around, which sadly, you know, small town, I mean, kind of small town, I guess, Tualatin, Oregon was in the news because of a middle school, I believe, where a transgender student attacked a girl. And then the video was it was premeditated. So they're like they had put the video on so that they could show it all over the world. And it's, it's horrifying to watch. It's horrifying to yes, for this poor girl that got beat up and physically injured by another student. It's horrible from the standpoint of the other students that were around that are observing this behavior as dare I say, almost normal, maybe normal is going too far. Hopefully, these sweet kids don't necessarily experience things like this on the regular. But I don't know, you know, I don't have kiddos, young kiddos in in, uh, school anymore. And I don't have uh, my kids aren't in public school. And I know that's a little different. And if you didn't catch our podcast where we had Casey Metter on just it was meant to be just an encouragement for educators, because we need to be praying for staff and students and moms and dads taking their kiddos to school today. And I'll I'll just kind of say, largely speaking, any school, but specifically our public schools are really, really under attack. And, you know, be careful to not just vilify the school itself or the teachers or, you know, the some of the things that we the fruit that we see come out of it, which you'll hear today, I'm going to criticize that for sure. But please uphold those folks in prayer that are in those school districts that are called even to be in those school districts and pray for them. You know, we, we talked about on the podcast, every time you drive past a school of any kind, just say a quick prayer for those kids. If you're at a crosswalk and you see some cute little kids walking across holding their teacher's hand or the gal that is, you know, holding the stop sign, pray for them pray for them. Let's be women that really pray about these things, not just complain, not just go, oh my goodness, everything is so terrible. Really, really pray about these things. So that's kind of a sideline. But I will say it's an important sideline. Prayer should be something that we are just all about. But when I viewed that video, and if you haven't seen it, don't go look it up. It's fine. Just imagine like a really bad situation in a school. And imagine this verse, because this is the one that brought it to mind was the word lawlessness. You know, first John 3, 4 says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And it's kind of what it looked like. It didn't look like order. It didn't look like, obviously, the type of environment we would want any kiddo to be living in and so called being educated in. It looked like lawlessness to me. And scripture tells us that lawlessness is also sin. 
Sin is lawlessness. And that's what it looked like to me. And, you know, I was, as again, I'm reflecting back to, you know, my days as a student in, you know, very small town, Gillette, Wyoming. But I think about the things that we didn't have back then. For example, okay, so if you go on, uh, and I'm sure we're not alone, but you know, I read this one just from a local school district. And but I'm pretty sure it's probably law everywhere. And they say disclaimers like this, it says, and it said the school district, it said prohibits discrimination and harassment on any basis protected by law, including, but not limited to an individual's ready, perceived, or actual race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, national or ethnic origin, marital status, age, mental or physical disability, pregnancy, familial status, economic status, or veteran status. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Okay, not really arguing the merits of this discriminatory, you know, we obviously would never say that you should discriminate or harass someone based on anything. But if I could pick apart a little bit some things that just right off the bat, you can go, huh, they're perceived or actual of any of those things that I that I listed. So I guess you can, you know, and this isn't new to us, we now live in a world where we know that there are people that they can just perceive that they're a particular gender. If you read that on that list, it's not just gender. In this case, they're also saying you can perceive what your actual or perceived race is. Huh? what your national or ethnic origin is. You can perceive your marital status. I'm not even sure how this works. You can perceive what your age is, your mental or physical disability. I mean, it's a long list of things that is actually written in a school district statement, and probably it is its law according to Title IX, that everybody has to abide by this, by this perceived or actual. Now, I take real issue Well, I don't really love this statement. It's sad to me that we even have a statement like this. But particularly perceived, this introduces this whole idea that there isn't really, guys, there isn't really reality. Things aren't actually objective. You can't really say that things live in the binary, that there is only this is right and this is wrong. No, 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 no. It would be as if they would say this in this statement, in this uh, legal ease that they put it in. You know, it's it, that just is all kind of nuanced. Eh, you can perceive it. This to me is at the root of so much of what we see then denigrates down to the lawlessness that we see. This idea that things aren't necessarily right or wrong, that you can perceive whatever your reality is, right? You can perceive what your color is, what your age is, what your gender is. This should cause us pause minimally as Christians, right? This goes, this idea of, you know, the things that are right and wrong, it can turn into very practical implications. You know, schools have a really difficult time actually having standards for a dress code now. Because if you are going to allow for boys to say they're girls and girls to say they're boys, then how do you tell a student on what is appropriate for them to wear? Because couldn't that just be based on whatever they feel that day? And can you really tell them and can you infringe upon them and their perceived reality for that day? See, language like that, that we have now encapsulated even in law, it furthers this idea that you can kind of just choose your own, you can choose your own adventure here. Like, actually, you can really choose 
what gender you're going to be. You can really choose all of these things, but that is not reality. So everything's turned into this very subjective. And, you know, now it's so in our faces, right, that you can, with all the gender stuff and all of that stuff that I just went into. But I think it actually came, if we could go back even a few years when you would hear statements like, you know, you do you, what do you want to do? What? And, and that can manifest itself into all kinds of craziness. It could just be you do you, you know, you choosing what makes you happy. But, you know, the idea that you are kind of at the pinnacle of really what truth is. Phrases like, you know, you do you or follow your path or what is your truth? Now, you'll notice there's a common denominator of a pronoun there that I think is just flat out wrong, right? It's all about your path, your truth. It's all about you, you, you. This is a really dangerous thing. And it fed itself into all kinds of ways in maybe even had some birth from the self-esteem movement that you need to just, you're good enough and, and all of those things. And we've, you know, parsed some of those things out before. I'm not really getting into that today. But the idea that we have made ourselves the center of our own reality, I think, is where this comes down. So we know scripture addresses these things. And the scripture doesn't know anything about this idea that there is not right or wrong. There is not an actual truth. There is not actual reality. No, scripture speaks to the opposite of that. But we're warned about these things. Isaiah 5, 20 and 21 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Boy, if that does not encapsulate the idea of you do you like that is not going in line with scripture, you know, that you're wise in your own eyes, you are the one that you know, you're master of your universe, and you can decide all of these things. It's against God's word. It really is. And I always just kind of have to pause. I mean, that's such a poignant scripture, right? From Isaiah. It's it's just really cuts to it. From Isaiah, guys, written thousands of years ago, right? So it isn't necessarily like this idea of evil being put on a platform and glamorized and dressed up and called good, or darkness for light, light for darkness, I mean, thousands of years ago. The truth of scripture is there. And I and I love that, that, you know, God's word has always been guiding us in these things. As Christians, we never should have had to wonder, well, you know, is it okay to call evil good or good evil? No, of course it's not. And it's been in the book for thousands and thousands of years. Romans talks about this too. And uh, Romans 1 18 through 23. I'll just read a couple verses there. But it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. I love that passage. That's a, this great reminder that, man, even if we're not talking about somebody who has read the scriptures or knows about the Lord, they know of the existence of God, which I'll then you know, go ahead and draw one more line from that. They know the existence of a higher being, God that is above all things, that is actually our standard and is and establishes right and wrong. That might be a little bit giving someone more credit than maybe they might get from this passage. But there is a general understanding that knowing that there is a God 
who created all things that we can see that just by creation, we know that he exists. So we know that in our knower, if you will, sometimes people call our our conscience that we know that there is a God that allows us to know righteousness from unrighteousness. But yet, did you see what it said in verse 18? It says, but in those in their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. Boy, are we seeing that. But then as you go on in, in verse 21, it says, for although they knew God, so it's saying that, yes, they did. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. And that gets into man's propensity to make idols, things like that. So just like Isaiah written thousands of years ago, Romans, same thing. The word is speaking, knowing that these things are not new. And I don't know why I find that somewhat encouraging. And maybe that sounds strange, but it does sometimes feel like the times that we live in are so dark and they do sometimes feel so unprecedented. Like how could things possibly have ever been this bad or how can it get this bad right now? And, you know, we weren't living back there in early Bible days. We weren't living there in Isaiah's day, but clearly this element of the struggle of confusing good for evil and evil for good and darkness for light. This is an old sin issue that man has fallen into. So where I want to go with this a little bit is I just want to kind of give us a little shot in the arm encouragement to fight for reality, Christians. I mean, gals, this is something that we shouldn't struggle with. Sometimes people will talk about, well, do they talk about ethics anymore? The Christian ethic. An ethic, it just defined is it's a set of moral principles, the study of morality. That's what it means to have an ethic. So to have a Christian ethic is to have something that is going to define what those moral principles and what that study of morality would look like through the lens of Christianity, or better put, through the lens of scripture. Colossians 3, kind of a long section. Let's see how long I want to read of this, but it's so good when it talks about what the Christian ethic would look like. And it says in verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then the next couple verses, verses five on talks about putting to death what is earthly in you. And it lists things. It it tells us exactly what those things are. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, it says. So it's defining those things that we would see under a Christian ethic. These are things that we don't want to do, right? Scripture is being very clear. Don't allow what is earthly to rule you. Get away from those things. We want to die to those things. The word of God is so vital for us as Christians. And you remember how in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that's the passage that says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. But verse 17 says that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So it's that reminder that God's word is is serving the purpose of helping, of, uh, help making us complete. It's equipping us to knowing what is right and wrong, knowing the things that we should do and the things we should not do. And scripture's full of these things that are pointing us to how we should be living this Christian ethic. Now, don't be confused by 
equating that morality and doing things right and applying the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them doing to do good stuff. Okay. And morality, Christian ethic, all of these things. Good. That's what I'm a proponent of here, but don't get confused that that is what saves you. Okay. You know, we are not saved by doing all the right things and, you know, right living Ephesians two, eight, and nine is what reminds us that for by grace, you have been saved through faith not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. And then specifically drills down verse nine, not a result of works that no one can boast. So it's not to say that all of these things are not absolutely important. In fact, that's to me what I think we're seeing. We're seeing as we view our culture and we see the things that are going on, man, we're seeing the breakdown, right? Of not applying a Christian ethic, not having right living, not looking at what scripture says about what is right and wrong and applying those things. But we can do all of those things perfectly, which, well, we won't, but we can try, right? We can try to be applying the things that scripture tells us to do, but that isn't a salvation thing. That isn't what's going to save us. Saving us, what saves us is only Jesus. It is only us coming to him, believing in his son that died on the cross, rose again for us and accepting his gift of eternal life. That's all grace. It's all beautiful. This right living part that we're talking about, these are the things that God tells us to do as an outpouring of our confession of faith, right? And it's amazing how, yes, we want to do that as, a, as the outpouring from what we, how all the things that the Lord has done for us. But then you just very practically see how that works out in a functioning society. When society takes out the right and wrong, takes out God and our true sense of reality and truth, we see very practically, our kids see very practically on the daily here, what it looks like when that is just no longer present. So it's not to say that all these things, obviously, they're important, but don't get confused. It's not a legalistic, it's not a, a salvation thing about just doing the right thing. But the Bible does tell us how to do this. You know, I gave you Colossians 3 that really breaks that down. I love Proverbs for this, practical Proverbs. I mean, it is, it addresses everything uh, from uh, sex, fidelity in marriage, lying, greed, man, even nagging, right? It, there's a couple of passages in there that talk about if uh, a, a wife is uh, nagging and all. I mean, it's just intensely practical on how we should live, how we should conduct ourselves. And obviously, you've got the commandments, right? You got the big 10 that tell you, you know, do not lie, do not murder. Like there's clear commandments about those types of things. Do not commit adultery. But then sometimes people would say, but what if the word doesn't explicitly say, don't do this or do this? And this is where applying the principle of the word is really key. You know, one of the examples of this, and this is definitely in our hyper alcohol and drug abuse culture, but you know, people will say, well, it doesn't actually say in the Bible, don't do drugs, right? Well, <laughs> it you may not find a black and white verse that says, do not, you know, do fentanyl or cocaine or whatever. Nope, you're right. That isn't there. But the principle of not doing those things absolutely is there. You know, you could look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 that tells you, it says, or, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That Just that last part of that passage, glorify God in your body, there's probably a lot of things we could think about and go, man, 
it's this choice glorifying God in our bodies is this. I mean, so there's a principle there that you can apply. You can also when if this is your issue and you're thinking, hey, I don't see a verse that says, you know, do not do drugs or whatever. Another one would be Romans 13. In most states, and I have to say most states, because that would not be Oregon. It is actually the law that you cannot do drugs, right? So you there's also a principle there that would be applied because you are supposed to follow the law of the authorities that we are put under that are given to us by God. So that's another one. Also, you know, you could look at Ephesians 5.18 when it says, do not be drunk with wine. So the principle, if we're to not be altered mentally by alcohol, that would then extend to anything that might alter our state to keep us in a place that we're not sober minded that would be the same. So I hope that makes sense to see that, yeah, there are things that and decisions we might come to and questions where we're like, well, is this the right thing? Or is this the wrong thing? And you might go, well, the Bible doesn't exactly say I'm not supposed to do this and this. There are the word of God will fully equip you. It is completely sufficient for you. So don't look for the road around is I guess what I would say. But look for where the principle of the word is also true, even if it's not explicitly stated there. While the answer isn't just in black and white, maybe in your Bible, remember that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he reminds us of the things that are true. It says that he will bring into remembrance the things that Jesus said. That's one of the things that Jesus said the helper would do for us. So as Christians, we can count on the Holy Spirit that is living inside of us to instruct us in the things that are right and wrong. First John 2.27 says, But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The word abide comes up a lot of times. John talks about it a lot. In John 8, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's your answer right there, right? Like, how do we know what's right and wrong? He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, if I could just pause on that little phrase right there, truly my disciples, because we did talk about this a little bit when we kind of got into the cultural Christian episodes that we did. And because this, I think, is a real issue in, in the church. There is definitely those that they check the I'm a Christian box Okay. And that could mean a whole lot of things. That could mean I believe in God, the end. Or it could mean that I believe that I'm a sinner, that I choose to repent of my sin and want to surround myself and walk in a way that is glorifying to the Lord. That also is checking the box. So the term Christian means a lot of things. But when John is saying there that, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Man, are we disciples though? Are we really followers of Jesus? We can't do that whole cultural Christian thing. You know, the cultural Christian is the one that wants to maybe attend church every now and then, and they want to take the parts of scripture that kind of feel good or the things that seem to match what culture does, but they're not necessarily looking to go to be a disciple, because to be a disciple is someone who wants to imitate Christ. Remember, the word Christian just meant little Christ, uh, somebody who wants to truly imitate the things that Jesus did. 
that we want to be as much like him as, as we can. We want to follow his word. So that word abide, man, it's like, it's like dwell in it, like live in it, kind of just absolutely marinate, surround yourself in his word. And it says, then you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's amazing. Also, John 15, that whole passage is amazing. And it it brings up that word abide again. And he says, uh, it's in starting in verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Such a great passage. If you keep going down to verse nine, it says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So I think this abide thing sounds pretty good, right? I think it sounds amazing that we could just kind of dwell and be in Christ in this way. And he says that we're doing this by obeying his commandments, by doing the things that the word tells us to do. Maybe it's too simple to say, but I almost just feel like this, the idea of a Christian ethic is right here. It's abiding in Christ. So to do this, you need to be in his word. First John 3, 6 says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So that's almost telling us the opposite side of the coin there too, that man, if you continue to choose the things that scripture says to not have any part of, it's saying you're not having any part of him. You're not abiding in him. You're separating yourself from him by your disobedience to what the word says. So, you know, on that, if, if to abide in Christ, if to be able to really understand what it is to live rightly, to live as not a cultural Christian, but live as somebody who really wants to follow Christ, you have to note that just the importance of faithful study of the word. If I could just tangent on that for a second, just to remind you guys, man, time in the word is just that it is time. And I'm never going to be one to say that if today you were able to read one verse, that was not enough or something. That That's definitely not what I'm saying. It's not time in that, man, every day in every season of life, you're supposed to have, you know, a full hour that you can carve away for all of these things. But I do think that we need to acknowledge that it's going to take time to know, understand the study of God's word. And honestly, when I say understand, are we ever going to get to the depths and all of the layers and all of the amazing things that God's word has for us ever in our lifetime? Like we're just not. But I think there is just so much fruit in our lives from just faithful study of the word. And so that could be that one verse that you read today and the one verse that you read tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You guys know being at Athey Creek, I've been there now for goodness, 23 years, maybe, I don't know, a long time. And it's amazing to me to see just the fruit of time in the word. I have now had the privilege of going through the Bible with Pastor Brett. I guess I'm now on my second time full. When I first started, it was the first time he was in Revelation. And, you know, the thing that about going and being part of a church that's verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, it's not going to be where every single verse you read, every single sermon you may hear, you're going to have this huge aha moment. 
actually, the Lord's blessed and I've had a ton of those, but that's not the point. But I think the point is actually this abiding part, being in the word, man, it makes you just constantly when you're doing it daily and, or, and you're in a church where you're going completely through the scriptures, you aren't missing anything. And it takes a long time. Pastor Brett said, I think the first time we went through the Bible, it took 14 years, maybe. That's a long time. In our immediate gratification society, we're, we're sort of like, can I have, we think going through the Bible in one year, it's like, oh my goodness, that's so long. But what about 14 years? But there's so much good stuff that comes from that. But I think we need to change our, I guess our, maybe our timeline expectations on man, I want to do this like it's a some sort of 12-step program and then check off the box and now I know the Bible. It's just not like that, you know? But I think of it kind of like uh, trees, you know? I love trees and the, the Bible talks about trees. In uh, Psalm 1, that whole uh, Psalm, it's a short little Psalm, you can memorize it pretty easily. But in verse 3, it says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. He gives this picture of us being like trees. And you think about it, if you see some of these just giant trees that we have and, you know, here in Oregon, my goodness, we have beautiful trees, big, big, huge trees. They didn't just get big overnight. They didn't get big in a year or even two years. It took a long time and it took watering and it took cultivating. It took maybe some fertilizer along the way. Maybe it took some pruning along the way. That John passage I was talking about in John 15, he talks about that if anyone does not abide in me, he can be thrown away this pruning, thrown away like a branch that withers and, and that we can be have our branches pruned. A picture seems to be very appropriate for us that, yeah, in our walk, especially, you know, man, as we study the word of God and, and we abide with Christ dwelling and seeking to obey his commandments, at times there's going to be commandments that are not going to jive with our flesh. There's going to be things that we would rather do this over here, but the word's going to say, nope, you need to do this. That's a pruning. That's a cutting away of something maybe that we shouldn't be doing. And we get that. We know what those things are because we spend time in the word. So, you know, I don't know why necessarily I, I go off on that tangent other than just to, I hope that you gals don't get discouraged by maybe you're feeling like you should be further along in your study of the word or your knowledge of scripture, or I don't know, but don't, don't be discouraged. Just keep going. You know, just keep spending time with the Lord and in his word. And it, it's just like that tree that it talks about in Psalm 1, that in its season, it will yield fruit. It really will. And one of the things that I think is so awesome about the word and as you're, as it's bearing fruit in season, I got to see this with my kiddos a lot with Proverbs, because you guys have heard me say before that that's kind of, if we had a devotional book as a family for our family devos, it was Proverbs. And Chris has led us through lots of other different topics and, you know, sometimes just a hard hitting apologetic thing of like, hey, how do you know? you know, what the Bible says about this, what, you know, and, and challenging the kids. So it's not like that's the only thing we've done. However, Proverbs is pretty much the standard on what we've done in our house. And what I loved about that so much is that, you know, we started it when the kids were really little. 
I think Evan was in kindergarten when Chris first started doing that, which meant that Caden and Brennan were even younger, like too young, probably you didn't have a clue what was going on. But starting to talk about those proverbs and, and as those would be repeated over and over and over, as they got a little bit older, he would read the proverb and sometimes they could finish it. And then sometimes, you know, they'd have a situation at school and they would go and Chris would say, hey, didn't we read about this in Proverbs? And, and they would start to see the fruit of things that they had read, things that they had been taught in the scriptures and how that bore out in their life. It was just such a great thing to see. But again, that was something that did my kiddos just check the box and totally get Proverbs on their first time through? Oh, no, not at all. Do I even still, as I've been through Proverbs, you know, probably hundreds of times, do I still get all of it? No. But in its season, it's so amazing how the Holy Spirit uses the word to bring those things to remembrance. And just kind of, even if it's just a slight correction, sometimes it's a big correction, but he uses his word for that. When we think about knowing right and wrong and how the world seems to really just kind of be off on this, in some ways we could go, well, yeah. I could see that because the world, okay, as we're loosely defining that as maybe that an unsaved person, a person who doesn't have Christ living inside them, you know, they perhaps the way they live their life, maybe even there's a different set of expectations really there, right? Because they don't have Christ living in them. So we kind of can look a little bit on the world and some of the nonsense that's going on and go, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense because they are not walking. They're not abiding in Christ. Okay. In fact, they're choosing to do the opposite. So I'll give you that, that the world, that's something that there might be a little bit different standard there. While even though I think we could say there used to be a societally accepted moral code, that seems to be gone. But the thing, so I'm going to set the world over here in, in a separate category here, but Christian gals, Christians, where are we on this issue? You know, research says, a Pew Research, it said that only 50% of evangelical Christians say they are for sure that there's absolute right and wrong. 50%. The rest either were in the I don't know or a large chunk of that was it kind of depends on the situation. It kind of depends on the situation. Okay, no, 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 it doesn't. But 50% of evangelical Christians that were surveyed said that they're just not sure if there is a right and wrong. That's crazy to me. For our non-Christian neighbors and friends, man, we just need to be sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus like crazy. No, I mean, don't mean be crazy, but share Jesus. Live your life with the understanding of right and wrong and in the truth of Scripture And let that light, let that freedom of living according to God's laws, let that just be, let everybody see that on display unapologetically. I think Christians, we are kind of skewing the lines here and not wanting to be too bold or too crazy about really understanding right and wrong. And while the world's going to be confused about that, Christians, we should not be confused about that. I think this is an area, gals, where I just think as Christians, if you've accepted the work of Christ, that you're identifying with that Colossians 3 verse that I was reading about that, you know, that we're dead to sin and, and we are a new creation that we have Christ living us in us. If that's you and you are a Christian, then we are without excuse on this. 
So practically, what does this look like? If you're a mom, man, make sure your kiddos know that there is right and wrong. And maybe you hear that and you're like, well, of course my kids know that. I sometimes wonder as we watch what's happening around us, maybe that's a phrase we need to rehearse in their ears a little bit more. Because is it, you know, and I don't know if you're like me, but I was a little concerned when I saw that 50% of evangelical Christians, evangelical Christians, that's us, right? Are not sure if there's right and wrong. So we need to be rehearsing in our ears, in their little ears, that there is right and wrong, that there are consequences for wrong behavior. And then show them what God's word says about it. And sometimes I think, gals, we get a little paralyzed by, well, but I don't, I don't know every Bible verse and I actually don't know where it says this and all that. You know, I actually think that our kids seeing us as not necessarily knowing that answer right away, I think it allows us to show them that we're lifelong learners too of God's word. I I think that's really instructional to them that it's not that we have to know every single answer, but we can know where we need to go and where we need to find the answer. I had a great little book when my kids were young that I would reference sometimes, and it's called Parenting with Scripture, a topical guide for teachable moments. I'll put a link to it in the notes to this. But all the book is, is a topical book of different things, you know, lying, integrity, or anything, you know, all kinds of topics that there could be actual parenting moments that you have with your kids. And then it's just list of scriptures on what God's word says about that. And I would often, you know, look those up and and refer to that so that then I could grab my Bible and or grab their Bible with them and show them where scripture says exactly what we're talking about. If it's lying, if it's cheating, if it's being unkind, where does it say that in scripture? And so it's just, a, it's a, you know, easy little tool that you can do. And also, can I just say, gals, there is zero shame in redeeming Google for this. You know, you can pretty much go to Google and go, okay, I know there's a verse about be kind one to another. Where is that? Because you can't think of the chapter and verse or whatever. If you just type verse, be kind one to another, it will pop up right away. There's a website called openbible.com. And it's a really terrible user interface, I'll just tell you now. But it is just we'll have tons of verses about a topic. And you can just go there and it'll just tell you what those scriptures are. Don't think because you don't know exactly where the reference is that you can't be used in your kid's life and in your own life, you know, to be able to look to scripture for what it says on all of those things. Use the tools that we have. We have lots of them. But not just for moms. I wanted to say for all of us, you know, first of all, let's not be shocked by where we're at. Okay. Scripture has been talking about this for a long time, but I think Second Timothy really highlights perhaps what our day is right here. And it says in Second Timothy chapter three, verse one, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of God godliness, but denying its power. That's a pretty descript list. That kind of sounds really familiar to what we see. Don't be discouraged 
that this is where we're at. In fact, it should actually maybe, dare I say, make us smile. And you're like, wow, Amy, how in the world would I smile about that list? And it's because it says in the very first part of it, it says in the last days, we're that much closer to his return. Is there anything else that is more exciting, actually, than having Christ return, the rapture of the church, being with the Lord and saying, you know, goodbye to all of this mess? No. But with that, don't be naive. And certainly, certainly, gals, do not be complicit in not acknowledging truth, right, and wrong. We just cannot be lazy in this. In every encounter, we need to be ready to discern what is true. And, and I want to say, it's like the, when scripture talks about taking your thoughts captive, take your thoughts captive on this, but even verbalize what is true about a, a situation and what is not true. Whether that's the craziness you see with people going, oh, it's just kind of nuanced whether or not you are a boy or a girl and where your gender journey is and stuff. Again, don't hear that as harsh to those that are struggling in that area. We should be compassionate and we should want to have relationship with even those that are really hurting in that. But do not deny the truth of what is right and wrong in the midst of your compassion. That is not compassionate to enable or to make allowances for lie or something that is evil. Otherwise, you're, you're back where that Isaiah verse was, that what is called evil good and, and good evil, darkness and light, and, and conflating these issues. So don't do that, but acknowledge what is true. Memorize scripture. Memorization of scripture is hard. And I think it's especially hard for us today because our brains, it's, we don't even have to remember a phone number because our phone already remembers it for us, you know? But stretch yourself, challenge yourself to memorize some scripture, because those will be things that will reap fruit in season as well. You know, be careful what you marinate in. You know, we talk about this a lot. We talked about it when we were the devoted live, whether it's the music you listen to or the movies or entertainment in general. Okay, we kind of like to be entertained, but be careful what you marinate, not because this is like going to cost you your salvation and, you know, that kind of thing, but it'll make you dull. And we do not need to have our discernment dulled right now. We need to be very discerning about everything that we're seeing. I think it's so important. C.S. Lewis once said that there is no neutral. And I, I wrote that on a sticky note. It's posted here in my office, just reminding me that the enemy wants you to think that there is neutral. He kind of wants you to be lazy and just think that things are not that big a deal. It's kind of benign. Stop taking everything so seriously. That's a lie. That's a lie. Be discerning. It can just be a slippery slope from where we're being naive to then going into just being complicit and by not acknowledging the things that are true and right and the things that scripture says and not being bold to share those things, particularly with us as Christians, gals, in our families and our with our sisters, neighbors, whoever it is that the Lord kind of puts on your heart to be very bold about what is right and wrong and the things that his that his word tells us. There's scary scriptures, gals, about when we don't walk this narrow road. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I know that that is a 
maybe a little bit of a hard scripture, but again, it's true. So be careful of the things that supposedly are nuanced and subjective and just actually flat out not reality. That's the wide path. That's the destructive path. We need to really hone in, sharpen that discernment, look for the narrow way that leads to life. Leads to life. Marinate in the scriptures. Let's just keep ourselves upholding the things that are true in our own hearts and minds, to our families. But let's take the thoughts captive of what is not true in our society, what is not reality, and knowing that it's God's word that fully equips us for the days that we live in. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.